Yo, yo, what it do, friends? It's me, Gio, one half of Eric B. and Gio Kim, the namesake of this podcast, Gio Knows Nothing, back with another episode to Feed the Streets. I'm here with my boy, Eric B. Say what's good. Hi, guys. How you doing, man? How's your day? Uh, I've had an interesting day. I'll leave it at that, but how you doing, man? <laughs> doing all right man you know shit happens life comes at you fast but you know you just gotta you just gotta roll with the punches sometimes oh yeah i've i've been all through that ready to talk about some baseball shit yeah i'm ready for some baseball shit let's do it yeah before we get into that just a, a quick side note alex isn't here for this episode he had some family stuff to take care of hopefully he'll be here next episode uh and yeah shout out to big head big papa pump just kidding. We future endeavored Alex. Next week we'll be covering the rise and fall of Alex over a, a three episode arc. Unfortunately, we had to, you know, cut ties due to uh, cutbacks in our budget. We just couldn't afford to pay him. But we're going to be talking about somebody getting paid. Let's get into some baseball shit. Right, somebody got paid. It wasn't Alex. I didn't even think it was me or Eric, but it was Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. He just signed a 14-year, $340 million contract extension, which is due to expire when he's just at the ripe age of 36 years old. Great deal for one of, if not the best shortstop in the league, probably number two behind Francisco Lindor, but there's no bias there. You know, so this is one of those contracts that we're going to look back on, and I don't think any opt outs have been uh, announced yet for this deal. None that I've seen. I mean, it's not going to be a straight up 14 year deal. There's definitely going to be some opt outs hidden in there somewhere for him. But wow, 14 years and they have this kid locked up. That is insane. Like that is easily one of the most absurd things I've ever heard just because like. This is so unheard of. It's literally one of those contracts where you like head onto Twitter or Instagram and you read all the numbers and you text your friends just like, are these numbers real right now? Like, is that, is that what I'm reading? But the crazy thing is he's 22 years old. He's played two years in the majors already. One of them being the shortened season last year. And actually he hasn't even played a full season yet. He's only played 84 games in 2019 and 59 games. Well, 59 games was as close to a full season as most guys got last year. But that being said, I don't think I've seen a guy get paid for what he's expected to do and not what he has done in the past. Because typically with these contracts, we see guys who have already had like a seven or eight year career where they've already been absolute studs for the uh, their entire career up to that point, And they're finally getting paid. So we'll see. We see like Bryce Harper, who is, I think, was twenty nine or twenty seven at the time of signing. Uh, he was twenty six, so he was twenty six when he got that contract. But you see, a guys who have already had all these years of experience, they have all this service time, and you know what they are. Like you have a very, very, very clear picture of what they are, and you know almost know exactly what they're going to do. Now Bryce Harper, because he came into the league at nineteen was one of the guys who could actually, going into his prime, was able to sign one of these massive contracts. 
typically we're seeing these massive contracts on guys like Albert Pujols, who sign a 10-year contract for $250 million, and they're signing them when they're 30, or close to, closer to 30. So here we are, a kid who's 22 years old, getting a massive, massive contract because he is expected to be one of the best players in baseball, period. This is the third largest contract in MLB history behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. And like uh, kind of to piggyback off of what you said, if you think about it, Mike Trout, when he got his big deal, he was already Mike fucking Trout. Like when Mookie Betts got his deal, he had already won MVP and everybody already knew that like who Mookie Betts was. Also, like you said, he's only played 140-ish games, and they and they they've already committed to give him 340 million for a guy that hasn't even paid a, or played a full season yet. Like this shit is unheard of, at least in my lifetime that I could remember. Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever seen this before because our lifetime is when those massive contracts started coming out. And again, looking at Mike Trout, when did he sign? his big extension looks like he signed his extension 2020 or 2019 yeah i believe he was 2019 because he was right after harper right um i thought trout came before uh, harper no because i think harp i thought harper came first no actually i do remember it now harper signed his contract first and at the time it was the richest in history and then Mike Trout, Mike Trout signed like signed like three months later. Oh, and yeah, made his yeah, contract yeah. the richest. Yeah, I remember that. I remember how f- hilarious that was because I think Bryce Harper's a douche, and not like, <laughs> and not like in a goofy way like JJ Watt, but like in a shitty way, like Patrick Payne of the <laughs> Chicago Blackhawks. Like I just think the guy sucks, and. The fact that he like wanted that big, I have the richest, I have the richest contract in history, and then all of a sudden he lost it before he played a game on that contract was hilarious. So, yeah, there must be something about Southern California. Maybe Scorpio Sky was onto something because I don't, I don't mind Harper. I kind of like Harper. I think he's kind of a douche. I mean, maybe not like as a person, but like as a player, yeah, I like him. But, like, all, like, being, like, a pissy little bitch and, like, complaining about everything and just, I don't know, just being, like, a big baby. Obviously, I don't fuck with that. Yeah, like, no, he's he's a good player for the game because he's, like, I do like how he's got some attitude on the field, which, you know, baseball is the most sterile sport in the world. So <laughs> you, you, you really need something there. You, you need some sort of energy. Yeah, like, so I, I like when he does stuff like that. Like, I love when he pimps home runs and just, like, cranks one to the upper deck at City Bank, Citizens Bank Park and just, like, stares at it for a couple seconds. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Same same, same with Tatis. Like, when he's pimping home runs, doing all the bat flips, that's why we love him. He's just a kid trying to enjoy playing the game that he loves. Yeah, but then Bryce Harper is the kind of dude that, like, Shows up at your house while you're having some friends over, having a small party with a 30 rack of Bud Light. And then when you tell him to leave, he tells, he threatens that his dad will sue you. Like, that's, that's what, right? That's the kind of person Bryce Harper reminds me of. And that's probably why I hate him. I feel like Bryce Harper is like the kind of dude to like play wiffle ball in his backyard with his kid. And he just hits like an absolute bomb, like four houses down, and he still pimps it. Not even on, on his own kid. 
on his friend's kid. A kid he doesn't even know. Random kid at the park. Listen, if doing that is going to make you a douche, then I'm going to be a massive douche when I have kids. Because <laughs> I fully plan on doing that. You and me both, maybe, now that I think about it. Never mind, I take that back. I mean, whatever, I'll be a douche as a dad, fuck it. Good player. Just a, like, I'm just not a fan of him fighting with Jonathan Papelbon in the dugout. <laughs> That's it. To be fair, though, Dodgers and Papelbon's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're gonna try to fight a dude, you might as well go for the the biggest, craziest looking dude, uh, and we would know as Red Sox fans. Yeah, before we get too much further off topic, that like circling back to Tatis, I think this is the type of contract that will set the future of player contracts. Like, if you have a guy who can show show up again, because like Mike Trout went to arbitration for years before he got his major contract, and granted. Arbitration for him is still, you know, 20 million, 34 million, 36 million. It's still a lot of money, but it, it's just another ballpark we're talking when it comes to signing a guy who you still have under control and just paying him. Paying him for what he's like projected to do. Pay him for what he's going to do and instead of paying him for what he did in the past. Yeah. Like, I, I think that could lead to a monumental shift in contracts for younger players. Or not, because Major League Baseball sucks like that, but... <laughs> Especially with us getting a contract like this and the like the one that, uh, that Trevor Bauer signed, where he gets an opt-out after every single year and still manages to have all that money like guaranteed if he does play. Like, the, bo- both of these contracts could possibly change the MLB forever. Like, you got a guy with an opt-out after every year breaking the AAV record and a kid that hasn't even played a full 162 getting paid $340 million over 14 years. Well, like, this is crazy. It's nuts, but I'm all here for it. Oh, 100%. I feel like th- this is, like, one of the changes that the game needed is players coming in and shaking it up, not only on the field, but even off the field as well when it comes to their contract negotiations. Yeah, now if they can just get these guys to do like media and stuff and have be like fun characters and Yeah, but also I feel like I feel like the media doesn't uh make it appealing for them to want to do media. At least most media. It's not even just media, it's doing advertisements, it's like putting your face out there, showing you have a personality. Like these guys just don't have an interest in doing it. And Mike Trout, above all else, Mike Trout, like, goes home and reads weather reports. That's something else that I feel like this contract can change, is that, like, Tatis is, like, like even the two other people in the top three biggest contracts in uh, the history of the MLB, Mookie Betts and Tatis, those are two, like, extremely credible uh, and marketable people that are easy to market. People's uh, fans love them, they're fan favorites, like, anywhere in the country. And then you have Mike Trout who's like the consensus number one best player in the league, but they haven't been able to market him or he hasn't been able to market himself. He hasn't wanted to. He's gotten plenty of opportunities to do it, but he just, he doesn't have an interest in it. And I can't say I don't blame him. He seems like just like a really chill guy who just happens to be the best baseball player on the planet. But, you know, it's just like one of those things where you can't force a guy to do something he doesn't want to do. So hopefully guys like Tatis and Betts can really 
And I mean, we haven't really started seeing bets in anything yet. And he is in the second biggest media market in the country playing for a world champion team. And we're not seeing his face everywhere. I mean, at least w- when we had him here, we, we would see him in commercials and shit. Yeah, small small local things. Yeah, true. Yeah. Do Do you think Mike Mike Trout's marketability has to do obviously with him not being interested in it, but also him not being part of a team that has been consistently good or ever really good? A little of A, a little of B. Like the the Angels have been so bad that you you don't put them on Sunday Night Baseball. Because no one wants to tune into Sunday Night Baseball to watch a like an eight to one game, but people show up to the ballpark for him. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, like people just want to see a train wreck. Like when it when it comes to the Angels, it's like yeah, like you know that they're not a good team, but you still watch to watch Mike Trout. Yeah, no one really wants to see that in baseball. There, yeah, in, in baseball, I don't really think there's anything worse than a totally one-sided game because then it's not even fun because then because there's no time limit so it just drags on yeah because it's like even even if they're just hitting home run after home run after home run it's like i could we just call the game here yeah like at least like when when the bucks were getting the ball in the super bowl and just repeatedly just scoring on kansas city at least knew when the game was gonna end yeah does he have opt-outs because i feel like Sooner or later, he's going to just go to a team where he knows that he'll win. I don't know. I don't know the structure of his contract. Um, But I would be both surprised and not surprised if he did. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he did because that's obviously something you want to build into those contracts. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was the kind of person that wouldn't say, like, all right, we want to build out opt-outs here, here, and here, and have him just be like, no, it's okay. I like living in L.A. Yeah, but, like, at a certain point, kind of like how I said last week, like, if you're if you're in a sport and, like, your your goal isn't to win the championship, the biggest championship in your sport, then what are you doing it for? The inordinate amount of money? Well, yeah, true. I guess not, not everybody's built the same, and money can make other people happy, whereas other people could want to just win. If we got to a point, like, let's use this podcast, for example. And maybe the 15 people that actually listen to it right now could provide some feedback. But, I mean, this is something that we're doing as a hobby for right now. But if you ever had the chance to make like a million dollars a year doing this and you had to record three times a week instead, would you try to figure out how to do it? Like guaranteed a million? Yeah, someone, say like some podcast host company hosting service i don't know comes to us and says hey we really like you guys podcast you guys have a lot of listeners uh we think you guys can be really big on the right um it's the word i'm looking for with the right marketing and getting you guys out there we think you could be really big we want to sign you for a million dollars and you each get a million dollars a year and you just have to record three times a week you need to get three two-hour recordings in every week I mean, it would it would depend on the length of the contract, but if all of that is right, and like the bag is right, then I don't see why not. Okay, and then now add into the fact that 
maybe they tell us to you get told to focus on one thing instead of the other would you still be okay with that no because because i want to talk about what i want to talk about what if they said don't talk about wrestling only talk about sports yeah i'd be like fuck off i love wrestling yeah well you have a lot more integrity about for this podcast than i do <laughs> you're you're willing to sell out at the drop of a dime Dude, if someone offered me a million dollars to talk for six hours about sports a week, I would totally do it. If they said you can't you can't talk about wrestling on this, I'd be like, deal. I mean I could I could do it theoretically, but would I want to? No. I respect that. I just love wrestling too much. Yeah, I do too. Especially that AEW. They're quite good. Or are they WWE? Hey. We'll we'll talk about it right now all right uh before we actually get into the aew show from wednesday they put on some matches on their youtube channel on monday it was the japanese side of the women's eliminator tournament the first matches ever in aew history emanating from the great country of japan we had four matches on the card, first match was Mei Sugura versus Yuka Sakazaki. Yuka Sakazaki. Let me get that right. This is a very entertaining match. Uh, I liked Mei's style because it's unique because it was based on misdirection. And I, I've seen it before. Like, Leo Rush would do it uh, from time to time in his matches. But it would be, like, a spot in the match, not, like, literally, like, his style of fighting. So it was it was a nice, a nice breath of fresh air to watch. Uh, I didn't like Yuka when I first saw her in AEW, but she has a, a good showing in this match, in my opinion, so now I'm, I, I, I kind of fuck with her. Uh, Yuka ends up going over after a body slam driver type move. Uh, Excalibur ended up calling it a Northern Lights bomb, but I don't know, it was nasty, that's all I know. And then she ended up hitting a 450 off the top rope, and she got the pin. So, I'm going to charge you right now with gimmick infringement. Because <laughs> hate, hating everything is Alex's gimmick. <laughs> but I don't hate everything. I just dislike some things. Yeah, I mean, Yuka Zakazaki, I really, really like her a lot. She's very, very good. And I think that the more we see of her in AEW, the better. She's got a good good tempo, good pace, good style. And she one of the things that I think a lot of women in AEW struggle with is the the small emotional things that help tell a great story. And I think that uh, Yuka Sakazaki is really, really good at that. Yeah, look forward to seeing more of her, hopefully on AEW main. If not, we could always just check out her uh, Joshi stuff in Japan. Uh, next up, we had Veni versus Emi, the mom of all moms, Sakura. Excalibur explains that the uh, kimono Veni wore during her entrance was gifted to them by the mother of Hanakamura, who unfortunately passed away last year. May she rest in peace. Emi Sakura has the big experience advantage in this match. She takes control early on, but Veni shows off their athletic ability after Emi rolls to the outside and Veni ends up hitting a moonsault. The veteran looks to take control, but the young gun flies all over the ring and even hits a running shooting star, which made me gasp audibly. Very, very good showing from Venny in this match. They were honestly my favorite out of everybody that we saw on this uh, first round on, on the Japanese side. 
but unfortunately she was defeated after Emi Sakura hits a Tiger Driver for the win. Yeah, just another great match. Um, one of the things I really, really liked about this match was that, to me, this match really put over the Women's World Championship really in a really big way. These two were really, they were hard hitting each other hard. They were really putting everything they had into it. And like they captured the essence of what a tournament like this needs to be about. And it needs to be about what you're willing to put yourself through to get a shot at the title. And these two battled. And I, I love Emi Sakura. She, I think she is awesome. I love her whole Freddie, uh, Freddie Mercury gimmick. <laughs> and, I think Venny has a lot of potential. So Excalibur was saying that they started wrestling when they were 18, uh, 16, and now they're only 22, 23? Yeah, 22 right now. Like, that is, they're going to be really good. Yeah, my, my favorite part about them was that they managed to mix the, the styles of striking very, very hard. And but also being athletic and mold it into one, they were nasty. Big fan. Moving on, we had the the internet's the internet's favorite in this uh, in this first round of the tournament, Maki Ito versus Ryo Mizunami. Honestly, if I'm pronouncing any of these wrong, I apologize. There was great character work from Maki when she begs uh, Mizunami for a forearm to which she obliged and led to Maki fake crying to lure her opponent in so she could take advantage by stomping on her foot. There was a great spot in the match where they go for full-fledged Minoru Suzuki and Tomohiro Ishii and they exchange a copious amount of forearms in the middle of the ring and the smaller of the two competitors uses her head quite literally when she catches a lariat and headbutts Mizunami's arm with her very, very hard head. Ito goes for a flying headbutt but kisses the mat instead and stands up to find Mizunami running at her full speed with a spear for a near fall. Uh, Ryo doesn't let up though and locks her in a head and arm triangle and forces her to tap at the end of the match. Give me your thoughts on Maki Ito. AW needs to sign her full time. Like, oh my god, she's the best. She's so awesome. She's phenomenal. This is genuinely my first experience with her. Like, I was aware of her from, like, Twitter and stuff, but, like, I had never watched her wrestle. I never, like, follow... I don't really use Twitter at all, so, like, I didn't follow her on Twitter. And the stuff that I've seen this week from her is amazing. Obviously, she's very talented. Uh, former J-pop star. And... Or she could even still be an active J-pop star. I don't know enough about her, but I want to know more. No, I think uh, I think Excalibur said on commentary, or maybe it was in her interview with Sean Ross Sapp, where she said that she got kicked out of the band. Okay. So I don't think she's doing J-pop anymore. So, all right, so she's a former J-pop star, and she just has, she just oozes charisma. Like, she is the type of person that, once we're able to start coming back to wrestling shows, if she starts doing regular shows in AEW, the crowd is going to be singing along in gibberish with whatever she's singing in Japanese, because even though no one will understand what she's saying, as you know, the bulk of people don't speak Japanese, they will be sitting there enjoying the shit out of it because she's awesome. And she called John Silver a simp on Twitter. So we have to love her for that. We, we love John Silver here, but maybe we love Maki Ito just a little bit more. 
I mean, John Silver was just a man trying to do his job and recruit her to join the Dark Order. A meat man trying to do his job. Oh, I'm sorry, the meat man. But <laughs> she just straight up called him a simp, and that's just the best. If, if that's a sign of her Twitter game, her Twitter game is off the charts. <laughs> uh, next up, for the main event of the first round of the Japanese side, we had the legend, Aja Khan versus Rin Katakura. Aja Khan debuted in 1986, and we are in the year of our Lord, 2021. Like, isn't that fucking insane? She debuted, wasn't that like the year after the first WrestleMania? Wasn't the first one 85? Uh, first one was 84, I believe. We just had 36, right? So, what was 36 years ago? That's a lot of math. So, yeah, 85. Ah, you're about right. Aja Kong is, has been wrestling as long as WrestleMania has existed. Let's go with that. And she's still a force. She got the, those heavy hands dropping elbows on everybody. Insane. But this was essentially a squash match aside from a couple small hope spots. And Rin just refusing to stay down. Because it literally took a top rope elbow drop for her to stay down. From a 35-year-old veteran doing top rope elbow drops. Uh, not a 35-year-old veteran, a 35-year veteran. I apologize, 35-year veteran. She looks great. She looks like she's 35. Shout out to Aja Kong. Yeah, Aja Kong is great. I hope uh, we're able to eventually get the Aja Kong versus Awesome Kong match that was teased back in uh, back in the days before we were living in a global pandemic. Because I want to see that match. I miss Awesome Kong so much. I wish, I wish she was like on AEW still. I would love to see an Awesome Kong versus Aja Kong uh, match on like like Double or Nothing or All Out. Just beat the absolute shit out of each other. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be like an eight-minute match, and it'll be awesome because they'll just beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So yeah, that was a good way to like uh, really kind of kick off the... Not necessarily kick off the women's tournament, but uh, the Japanese side of the bracket. That was a really, really good show. Very good start. And I am very excited for Monday night when we get to see it again. Do we know what the matchups for Monday night are? Um, Let me look these up. Yeah. While you look it up, who do you think is taking it all from the Japanese side? It's tough to say without knowing what it's going to look like right now. Let me pull it up. So we're going to have Yuka Sakazaki versus Emi Sakura. Ryo Mizunumi versus Aja Kong on Monday. Um, hmm. This is tough because... Yuka Sagazaki's my pick. She was my pick at the beginning to make it out, but she would have a couple of really tough wins to get there at this point. So I'll stick with her. I'll still say it's going to be Yuka Sakazaki. So I'll pick her versus Emi Sakura. And hmm, does she slay the giant? I don't know. Does she? She slays the giant. I'm going to say she's going to, Aja Kong is going to beat Ryo Mizunumi, Mizunami, and Yuka Sakazaki will beat Aja Kong in the Japan final. And that revolution, we will get Yuka Sakazaki in the turn, the Eliminator finals. I think it'll be Emi over Yuka and Ryo versus, or over Aja. So we get Emi versus Ryo, and I think Emi's going to win it all. So in the finals, uh, Emi versus Mizunami, I think, is going to be the finals. And then Emi's going to go over, and then she'll be in the finals. And depending on who's on the other side, she might win, she might not, because she has the history with Sheeta. because I think Excalibur said that she trained Sheeta. 
which wouldn't surprise me because she trained a lot of the people that we saw on this show and just a lot of the Japanese talent that they bring in. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. There's like there's a lot of different directions they can go in it with it, so let's get into AEW main. Let's blow up some dynamite. I'm editing that out. <laughs> that was some Alex level of bad. <laughs> started off with hangman and matthew hardy versus th2 as we expected matt hardy takes a beating until he gets hangman in the match with the hot tag culminating in a nasty spine buster for a near fall with excalibur taking the page out of jr's book with with the spine on the pine call matt gets back in the ring and is on the brink of losing the match for his team but hangman saves him with a double barrel buckshot lariat followed by matt completely spiking jack evans with a twist of fate after the match, it's revealed that the contract Matt signed last week was for a match against Hangman at Revolution, which turns into a money match where the winner gets 100% of the loser's, loser's first quarter earnings of 2021. Adam is then attacked by Isaiah Cassidy, who was in the Jackson Duval costume, and TH2 attack him as well after Matt Hardy offers them $3,700, but the Dark Order come out to make the save. So the first thing I'm going to do is correct you and Tony Schiavone. It is Jackson DeVille, not Jackson Duval. Second. I apologize to the city of Jacksonville. None of, uh, don't apologize to them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Second, you know what? Did we really expect anything less from Matt Hardy? He read the contract. Or do we really think he wasn't, he was just going to blindly sign something and not get it notarized? Or blindly sign something and notarize it. Matt Hardy's a carny. He he knows what carnies do. We should have saw this coming from him. Yeah, after we recorded last week, I was like, but he took the contract and put it in the envelope. He easily could have just reopened the envelope and then just read the contract. I really like where this is going. It makes Matt Hardy to not be a gullible idiot. Hangman just wants a fight. Because he knows he can beat Matt Hardy. But the really the best part about this was... um How, how do I want to put this? Um, a topless dark order, and and when I say the topless dark order, I mean everybody but Anna J and Colt Cabana. Anna wasn't out there for this segment, but Colt was was topless. And you know, Uno doesn't count because that suit is suit is amazing. It's better than anyone's anybody's muscles in that group, including tens. But like even even minus one, shirtless and shoeless. Just run out, ran out on the stage and started directing traffic to save Hangman. Yeah, that was dope. That whole segment was awesome. Shout out, shout out to Brody Lee Jr., man. Best leader of any faction in all of wrestling. Following that was an inner circle promo. Uh, Jericho says that he wanted MJF and Sammy to go at each other to make each other better. But MJF got it. Sammy unfortunately did not. And now Sammy is dead to him for turning his back. Not only on the inner circle turning his back on Christopher Jericho. So last week I slammed this angle for the whole, all the times that they brought up the fact that they watched dynamite and MJF's big, his big gotcha on Sammy was going to be that he was going to trick him on an episode of dynamite. I did actually really like that Jericho was like, Hey, dumbass, we watched dynamite. <laughs> you know, we watched dynamite. We, I saw what you did. But then he he turned it around on, well, I was doing that all by, all on purpose to get you and Sammy to elevate each other. 
I mean, Jericho is just an idiot. Dude, I was watching live and I popped so hard because I, I remember you saying, don't they watch the, the show every week? And I'm like, yeah, apparently they do. Yeah, well, we got to answer to that. So, I mean, it is it is what it is. I'm still not crazy about this whole angle, but, you know, at least they acknowledge the fact that, at least Jericho acknowledged that they watch TV. They watch the show, rendering MJF's big plan as foolish. Yeah, and Sammy wasn't on the show because he was too busy turning down uh, storylines from Impact. Let's not get into that, because there's a lot to unpack in, in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> if if what has been reported is all true, then Sammy going there is, was just a shit show. Yeah, th- there was new stuff that came out today. I haven't read up on any of it. Basically, Sammy Guevara went with the hardcore Holly approach, and was just like, all right, you guys put the title on me. All right, and then what? And then I kick everyone's ass. <laughs> and then what? And then I continue to kick everyone's ass. Basically, apparently Sammy wanted the X Division title. And his whole plan was Sammy wins X wins the X Division title, beats everyone, goes back to Dynamite, and vacates the title. And then there's a tournament for it. And this, kids, is why you don't let the wrestlers book the shows. I was about to ask if that was his idea or if that was Impact's idea. Because whoever thought of that, that that's just not a good idea in general. Uh, it was Sammy's idea. Impact's idea was we we don't know what Impact's idea was, but it was reported that whatever the idea was, he was right to turn it down. Yeah, that's what I heard. But his idea wasn't much better. Yeah, apparently it's a it was an angle that Don Callis and Chris Jericho came up with, and apparently there were people in Impact saying that Sammy was right to turn it down because it was a terrible angle. So who knows? Something that wasn't terrible at all was this next match. Serena D versus Riho in a very, very good... I'm honestly willing to go out on a limb and say, like, top two best matches or, or women's matches in Dynamite history. Would you agree? Uh, that's a pretty lofty way way to go on that. Um, it was an excellent match, but top two Dynamite women's match of all time. Yeah, like on like on Dynamite, not like in the history of AEW. Right. No, I understand what you're saying, but like if that's number two, what's number one? The Nyla Riho match was pretty good. I mean that yeah, that's pretty clear cut number one for me. Um I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe it is probably one of the best women's matches they've ever had on Dynamite. I like the the cinematic oh wait, I don't know if that was on Dynamite. The the big swole Britt Baker match. Was that on Dynamite or was that on a pay per view? That was the full gear pre-show, I thought. The cinematic match? Yeah, the one in De- Brit- Brit's uh, dentist office. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. But I like that match. Too. Um, Can we please... Why Why isn't Big Swole in the tournament? Last I remember seeing, she was suspended for something. I think she was suspended indefinitely for doing something to Britt Baker. That was a while ago, though. Damn. Yeah. Hang on. I'm checking right now. Um... Oh, no, it was the opening match of uh, All Out this year. It was Big Swole versus Britt Baker in the match in her dentist office. Shout out to them. Love both of them. But back to this great match. Uh, they had me completely captivated for the whole thing, so I felt like I couldn't even type, but I still, I still, I still jotted down some things. Uh, the entire match felt like a ginormous tug of war for control. Like, nobody really had control for that long in the match, uh, and I liked that. It felt like a G1 match. Yeah, kind of. You know, like I just said about the other, with the Japanese bracket matches, it felt like they 
really put the they put the title over. They were really fighting for something, and it was great. I thought it was a really good match. It was a very simple match. Uh, I mean, story wise, it was a very simple match. Rio's first bat- match back, and she's facing the NWA Women's World Champion in a tournament for a shot at the AEW Women's World Championship. So I really liked that. They really just made it. They made it simple. They delivered, and it was two great talents just going in the ring. Yeah, Serena Deeb came into the match with a big cast on her left knee, so that was obviously the target for Riho. But uh, a little after Riho starts attacking Deeb's left knee, the tables turn and Deeb is on Riho's left knee. So that's essentially the story of the match. Just a lot of dragon screw leg whips, a lot of dropping elbows on the knee. I, I loved it. The constant back and forth continues up until the finish where they exchange pinning predicaments until Riho catches Deeb with one for the win. Honestly, kind of out of nowhere and kind of unexpected for me, at least, because I kind of had Deeb taken it going into it just because she's the NWA Women's Champ. But Riho moves on to the next round and she'll face Thunder Rosa. And I cannot wait. Yeah, Rio versus Thunder Rosa is going to tear the house down. Like, when I talk about top two matches in Dynamite history, like, that one might be number one if it goes, like, according to plan. Like, just judging off of talent alone. This is one of those matches where all they need to do is just have some chemistry with one another, and it'll be awesome. Like, the worst thing that could happen is that they're just two great wrestlers that just don't have chemistry with one another. And that's worst comes to worst. Yeah, that's like a worst-case scenario. And even then, the match will still be pretty good. You know what else is a worst case scenario? Seeing Shaquille O'Neal on AEW Dynamite because that's what we saw after this. Saw Jade and Shaq shooting some hoops in a nice little promo package of them training. I don't know what basketball has to do with wrestling necessarily, but fuck it. Red Velvet was also confused on Twitter because I remember she retweeted it saying, what, are we playing basketball or some shit? So, you know, whatever, man. In this video package, Shaq made the same amount of three-pointers that he made in his entire NBA career by making one. Hey. Shout out to Shaq. On the court, just not in wrestling. I want this match to take place yesterday because I'd never want to see it. As much as I hate the NBA for forcing an all-star game this year, I'm kind of stoked that there's an all-star game because that now Shaq can't be at uh, Revolution. Because that's going to be the night of the All-Star game. Is it actually? Yeah. So it's the match is being moved up to Di- the Dynamite before now. Oh, that's why it's on Dynamite. Yep. Oh. So instead of, you know, paying $50 and getting stuck watching a match. With Shaquille O'Neal in it. Actually, the All-Star game's on the 7th. And Revolution, I believe, is the 6th. Well, I mean, either way, he would still be in Atlanta, I'm assuming. Oh, never mind. Revolution is is on the seventh. Oh, huh. That's interesting. They're doing a Sunday pay per view. Oh, that is kind of weird. It's usually on Saturdays for them. Yeah, I'll take it. I don't mind. But, but yeah, I think it's gonna be better having Shaq on Dynamite because if he's on Dynamite, people don't have to pay to see him, and it'll probably drive bigger viewership than pay per view buys. So, and it'll hopefully be a shorter match than if it was on a big pay per view. Yeah, hopefully they, they save picture-in-picture picture for it and just use that for like one of the picture-in-picture picture breaks. Oh. If there if there was a time for a restaurant-quality picture-in-picture, it's, it's as soon as Shaq tags into that match. After that, we had a squash match, essentially. It was uh, everybody's favorite Auntie Luther versus Orange Cassidy. 
Luther takes a power bomb off the apron onto the outside, like off rip. Like that's like the first move he took. I'm pretty sure. Followed by Chuck avenging himself after getting taken out by a suicide dive right after the bell rang and delivering an awful waffle to Serpentico in the middle of the ring. Luther ends up getting back in the ring just to get taken out by an orange punch, and that is the end of the match. Orange Cassidy picks up the W. That was a longer match than you made it seem, but yeah, that's about all the amount of talking you have to do for this match. Orange Cassidy went over big on Luther, and Chuck hit the awful waffle. It was a good day for the best friends in Orange Cassidy. I love Chuck. Same. I'm glad he's not being called Charles anymore by that large Bulgarian man. What a beautiful man, though. He is gorgeous. I just want to have traps like him. I mean, don't we all? One day, one day. After that, segment of the night completely caught me off guard. The Team Taz promo. I wonder what's going to happen in this one. In a shocking turn of events, Sting actually comes out to interrupt Taz. Did you see this coming? Well, as soon as the segment started, yeah. But but before the segment started? I mean, we knew that Sting was going to call out Team Taz. But instead, Taz pulled a fast one and he called Sting out. He was on his shit. I mean, Taz is the is a consummate professional. Again, not crazy about the storyline. It does doesn't do anything for me. So let's just keep pushing along on it. You and me both. Uh, after Sting gets in the ring, Taz starts talking shit about how Sting needs the bat to beat anybody up, and I don't know why that's a point of contention because he's an old man. Of course, he needs some sort of weapon, and that was proven after he threw the bat down, and Sting ends up taking his first bump. In five years, six years, after he takes a power bomb from Cage, and I literally stood up out of my seat and started cringing. I didn't stand up, but I also cringed. I was very uncomfortable when I saw his back hit the mat that hard. Just because, like, why? Like, like, I don't necessarily mind him taking the bump. It's just that, like, if they were going to do this, they should have done this, like, a month ago. And I feel like it would have had a way bigger impact than it does now. They were just trying to get it to a pay- get it to the pay per view. That's all it was. They just they they started this angle too soon. Yeah, be, because like you said last week, he's already been in AEW for two months. Like yeah, holy shit. Yeah, it, it's this has just been way too long, and you know this is one of the downsides of having pay per views only once every few months. Uh, I think it's every three months. Yeah, and. I mean, I get it. You don't want to oversaturate your stuff. But if you want something for a pay-per-view, you got to time it better. Because this, much like the inner circle angle, has been going on for too long. And the payoff should have come a few several weeks ago. I agree, man. And it would, it would, have, it would have been perfect if, it, like, if there was like a January pay-per-view, this would have been like a perfect payoff there. A hundred percent. In terms of timing. 100%, but instead he debuts in December, and we have to wait until March for him to have the match. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like when you have to put out a statement saying that the 62-year-old that works for you with back problems is okay after taking a powerbomb, the fact that you even need to make that statement says a lot about whether or not the guy should actually even be in the ring. Yeah, it kind of just proves that he shouldn't have taken a powerbomb. But hey, man, I mean, if he's if he's willing to do it and he got medically cleared, then there's not really that much shit we can say. So, 
After that, we had a, a little Eddie Kingston promo. He says that he asked for uh, our main event match for tonight so that he could literally battle his demons in Archer, Phoenix, and Moxley. Uh, it's Eddie Kingston, so it's a good promo. That's all you kind of have to know about that. Uh, but after that, we had a Kenny Omega promo and where Alex Marvez, once again, teleports straight to, through a wall. And he interrupts Kenny trying to be a stand-up citizen by reading the Young Bucks autobiography to a class of small children. Can Marvez just stop? Can he leave Kenny alone? Well, no. He can't, because the people need to know what the champ is up to. But you know what needs to stop? We need to get the guy who covers himself in baby oil away from small children. Not saying that Michael Nakazawa's done anything, but like... That can't be a good look. Yeah, it's not a good look. <laughs> Let's let's not have Michael Nakazawa around kids. <laughs> Shout out to Michael Nakazawa. Just kind of lay off on the baby oil a little bit. And leave the kids alone. Nak and Kenny can tag as much as they want. And they can hit that hentai slide on as many opponents as they want. But let's just stay... Let's, let's keep it adults only. What's a better name for a tag team finisher or a tag team move? The hentai slide or the golden shower? Ooh, the golden the golden shower is legendary, so I'm gonna go with that. But the hentai slide is really good too. The golden shower is like is like rooted in lore. Well, the golden shower won many many matches. The hentai slide is a transitional move. Ah, uh, true. Yeah, but just the name. Oh yeah, but you can't consider it just the name because the name plays into what the what the move is and how important the move is. Uh, the Kenny segment uh, ends with the kids not wanting Kenny to leave and Don volunteers Nakazawa to play with the kids but they they complete their heel turn and they boo Nakazawa and tell him that he sucks they're not entirely wrong <laughs> following that we had the young Bizzles versus my boys the beautiful Puerto Rican Santana and Ortiz this young bucks attire was fucking nasty I don't know if they've ever worn that before, and I just didn't realize, but their attire was gross. I honestly don't rem remember it. It's okay. <laughs> Early on in the match, the entire inner circle gets thrown out from ringside right before commercial break because MJF's dumbass was going to try to get involved and punch somebody. It was one of the young bucks while they were uh, hung up in the corner, and Rick Knox sees them and throws all of them out. After the commercial, Nick's... After the commercial, Nick gets the hot tag off on Matt for a, a change, and he takes over for a little spell. The Bucks set up for more bang for your buck, but is countered by an avalanche falcon arrow, and Santana thought he had done the deal, but unfortunately, it's only a near fall. Santana and Ortiz hit their uh, roll-through double-cutter move, followed by the street sweeper, which was a very nasty near fall, because Matt legitimately had to like tackle Rick Knox for him to stop counting, essentially. Barely got in. Uh, they think they have the upper hand after... They, as in Santana and Ortiz, think that, that they have the upper hand after they powerbomb Nick into the crowd. Uh, Ortiz gets up on the apron and he starts he starts shouting, The best! The best! The best! Gets in the ring and he ends up getting rolled up for the loss. So anticlimactic. I was just like, damn. But, you know, it was a good... It was, it was at least a good match, a good showing for them. Post-match beatdown ensues that we're kind of accustomed to with uh, AEW. We get like at least like three of these a week. It feels like uh, the inner circle is back out and they attack. They attack the uh, the inner circle is back out and they attack the young bucks. Uh, we go backstage to Kenny and the Good Brothers watching on the big screen. 
Kenny wants to go out, but instead Don sends the Good Brothers out, and they little they they, they do a little waddle. They waltz their way to the ring very slowly to save the Young Bucks. And yeah, also another good touch I liked about this uh, was how Santana and Ortiz didn't get involved in the beatdown because Ortiz was just sitting in the middle of the ring, just like distraught that they lost, and Santana had to like go and like hold his head and tell him everything's gonna be alright. Good character stuff. Nice and subtle. Very. I like this match a lot until the finish. I hate the finish. Very underwhelming, right? Yeah, because, oh my god, they're two of your best teams, and they can just go, and you just, I don't know. I, I just don't think it was a good idea. It's like, even even if they would have ate, like, three super kicks each into, like, a Meltzer driver on, like, Ortiz, like, that would have been, like, a sick ending. And then just have the, the same thing happen, and Circle comes out and attacks them immediately as the as the bell rings. No, just let them hit the BTE trigger for the win. I just, I hate roll-up finishes like that in title matches. Especially when it's, like, not an, like, if it's an underdog pulling something off and stealing a win, I like it. Because it fits the character, it fits everything. But Nick stealing a roll-up victory as the defending champion against Santana, or not Santana, Ortiz, it just... I don't know. It's like you said, it's anticlimactic. It just wasn't as fun. It wasn't quite what it could have been. I agree 100%. Great match, just a shitty finish. We had another tag team match on the card. Seidel Brothers versus FTR. The Seidel Brothers start kind of hot, but are quickly slowed down by the brute old school style of FTR. That is, until after the world famous commercial break we've all come to love. When the Seidels get a blind tag and take control after Matt comes in and Mike's hit a moonsault. And Mike, after Matt comes in and Mike hits a moonsault to the outside. FTR wouldn't be down for long though because they knocked Matt off the top rope when he was going for the shooting star. And they ended up hitting Big Rig for the win. Following the pin, they try to cut off Mike's hair but are intercepted by the Jurassic Express all in the ring. Luchasaurus has a new mask. And him and Jungle Boy lay out FTR. That was a really good match. I honestly had never seen or heard of Mike Seidel before this. I didn't know Matt Seidel had a brother who looked just like him. But, damn, they're really good together. I really liked him. He really, really worked really well in this match. The only time I ever heard of Mike Seidel was, I think, he's one of the few people to take the infamous uh, top rope flipping styles clash like successfully i think um it was not successfully he he got very injured doing that i couldn't i don't remember i didn't remember if that was him or if if that was somebody else i just didn't want to say that he's the one that got injured no he was the one that got injured oh that's unfortunate Shout out to Mike, yeah. to Mike Seidel. I'm glad you're okay, man. And 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 you're right. He 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 did look pretty good in in the match. Honestly, when they first announced it, I was like, wait, his brother wrestles still? Because because I thought you know I had the whole him getting injured thing. I thought that he like retired after that or something. And I hadn't because after that I had never heard of him again. But yeah, you know, great showing for both of them. I hope we we officially add another brother tag team to the AEW tag team division. Yeah, that'd be fun. And then we could get the tournament of the brothers. You get a brothered up tournament, brother. Bro, we can join. We're not brothers, brother. Yeah, but we're brothers, brother. <laughs> After that, we had a Mox promo. 
he basically tells Kenny that he's not done with him and that he's gonna beat Kenny for the title and get back his baby and all that good stuff. And this leaded into our main event, which was Mox, Lance Archer, and Phoenix versus Eddie Kingston, Butcher, and the Blade. And I know that we said it before on an earlier episode of the of the podcast, but Phoenix is in my opinion, without a doubt, currently, like, top three wrestlers in the world. Just, like, strictly in-ring. Oh, without a doubt. I'm so happy he finally gets a, a chance to showcase his skills on a, a grand stage. He came out cosplaying as his, his own brother, because his brother got his eye fucked up by Kenny, so, you know. Shout him. That's, that's a nice little shout-out from him to his brother. There was a good spot where Archer is going for the, the old-school moonsault, but he ends up getting grabbed by Butcher, and Phoenix runs the rope and just straight kicks Butcher in the face. It was nasty. Like, Archer was still on the top rope, and he wa- he rope-walked and kicked him. Insane. Archer and Phoenix are, like, also, like, two of, like, the most fun people to watch currently, in my opinion. Like, they're just so entertaining, and it just looks like they're having the fucking time of their life doing, doing what they're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Archer is in firm control until the heels start using their special tactics, but Phoenix comes in with his expected one of the best hot tags in wrestling, including a topic on Hilo with his hands behind his back and a huge frog splash, like Art Bar-like type height that he got on that shit. Things spill to the outside, and Archer chokeslams Phoenix onto Butcher and the Blade on the outside. On the outside, and Phoenix did like a little tornillo out of the chokeslam. We're left with Eddie Kingston in the ring. And one thing I like about Eddie Kingston is that, like, whenever he's in, like, in these multi-man matches, he always seems to get the spot where he just, like, takes the fucking, like, a whole bunch of moves from three people in a row. And I like that about him because it just shows how unselfish he is. Yeah, he definitely works to get everyone else over. And he does a very, very good job of it. This shows how good of a, of a leader he is trying to bring everybody up with him. Uh, Eddie showed some heart. He kept fighting till the very end. But he ends up going down after a nasty paradigm shift from Mox onto him. Looked like he completely spiked him, but you know he he didn't. But it looked nasty. Another segment of a post-match beatdown happens when the Good Brothers come out. They attack Mox. Kenny comes out. He looks Mox eye to eye, and he tells him that he will get his rematch that was instilled in their contract, and the rematch will be in an exploding barbed wire match. To which. Rene Paquette took to Twitter saying, in all caps, or no, it wasn't in all caps. It was just sentences uh, that said, one said exploding, the next one said barbed wire, and the next one said deathmatch. Like, I also read something on Twitter that said that, like, uh, Tony Khan is just trying to get back at all the people that made fun of him for collecting, like, old FMW tapes back in the 80s or 90s, which is, I could see that being a true a true statement with what's about to transpire in this championship match. Oh, please. You say that like it wasn't Mox and Kenny who came up with this idea in the first place of having like some sort of a barbed wire match or having some sort of death match. And then that's when Tony was like, guys, this is it. Here we go. Tony just like a glare came over his eyes. He's like, guys, I've had, I have the perfect idea. Hey, we want to do a death match to really put a stamp on this feud. Oh my God, guys, I know exactly which one. He he just busted out like an old ass DVR, a old like standard definition, uh, old standard definition television. Just popped in some FMW, like some fucking Hayabusa. He, I wonder if he if he saw Luther in one of those tapes. 
probably. It's probably why he signed Luther. <laughs> well, yeah, exploding barbed wire death match. I, I can't wait to see what they do, but I also just don't want anybody to get hurt. But you know, knowing AEW, they'll they'll try their best to do it as safe as possible. The last time these two had a match one on one was uh, that wasn't for the title. Was that lights out match that the sport the sporting commission in Maryland actually almost fined them for that match, and that wasn't even that like extreme. Like obviously they had like rough spots, but like exploding barbed wire. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be absurd, dude. This is gonna be so crazy. It's like Mox like crawling through the glass, the big barbed wire spot they did towards the end. Kenny using like that big ass heavy chain. But like exploding barbed wire, bro. Yeah, this is gonna be something else. Alright guys, thank you for checking us out. Please make sure you like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. Tell your friends, share this with everybody you know. Share this with the old lady you work with that's kind of annoying, but you still kind of fuck with her because she she treats you nice sometimes. Guys, we were a mess tonight without Alex fact-checking for us. Please, please like, share, and subscribe so that we can rehire Alex. Yeah, Breaking Kayfabe, uh, we recorded for seven hours, and it's all because Alex wasn't here to look up stuff for us. Do you guys have any idea how much time it is to be completely unprepared for a show and do all the prep while you're recording? It's a nightmare. Yeah, we need we need Alex. We need you, Alex. Dumb Cody Rhodes, Mark. Fuck Cody Rhodes. All right, guys, we'll be here next week. Eric, say adios. Adios, mi amigos. Hope everybody stays safe. Wear your mask. Don't cough on people. Don't kiss anybody you don't know. And yeah, peace. Peace.